Well, folks, welcome back to another episode of Rethink Real Estate. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing two of my dear friends uh, and also business colleagues. We've got Scott Palermo and James Sanek. They run uh, a business called Harcourt's Desert Homes in Palm Springs in California. They're opening up a new office in Palm Desert, just down the Coachella Valley, closer towards some of these luxury estates and clubs that we're going to talk about today. In today's episode, we go into some serious case studies of how they've taken their business from selling five, $600,000 properties from an average perspective, all the way up to 10, 12, $15 million properties in some of the most exclusive country clubs in all of North America. This is a great story of how leveraging the auction process into getting into the luxury marketplace is something that you can do, regardless of your previous experience in real estate as well. They come from a long career, then opening up their own office, then embracing something new like auction to break into a luxury market. We only give a couple of examples today, but they are taking the luxury marketplace by storm in the Coachella Valley and certainly progressing forward. It's a great story as well. Towards the end of the episode, we talk about their journey and the trials and tribulations that they went through to get to where they are. I hope you enjoy it. They're two great characters and I really enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much. Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast aimed to deliver sales strategies, marketing tips, and business insights from industry experts and myself to build a listing-focused business for the future. Let's get into it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm joined by two of my dearest friends through our real estate journey in North America, and it's a pleasure to have James and Scott on the podcast with us. Welcome to the both of you. Thank you. Hello, Hello. from Palm Springs. Do you know what? You guys You guys don't realize this, but you're a little bit of, uh, you both are celebrities in the real estate community, internal to Harcourts, but also external as well. The Palm Springs singing realtor, Scott, has definitely hit the the international threshold of things whenever you sing a happy birthday to me or something or one of the team is that we get so many comments on it that now everybody basically knows you in any real estate community that we're on social media with <laughs> I, I didn't know that i guess i need to start doing more not less <laughs> well again i think that it's brand recognition in every way shape and form but uh but i guess that you know the thing that we really want to dive in today and we want to talk about having already given the people that are listening today a bit of background on you in the introduction. Um, we want to talk a, a little bit about today because I think that I think your guys' story, not only from Harcourt's Desert Homes and where it is today and some of the exciting things we have into the future, and we'll talk a little bit about that towards the end of the podcast, but one of the really major leverage points that I've seen the both of you guys do is use our non-distressed auction process to get into some of, I would say, the most exclusive, tightly held real estate communities in quite possibly North America. I might even go the world. Like there is, we're going to be talking about real estate transactions and clubs that you guys are selling real estate in at the moment where, you know, presidents, many, many former presidents of the United States have had property. And, you know, there's one of them that has a a underground vault for people's cars. You know, like this is some incredibly high-end luxury people 
lifestyles and communities, let alone the real estate that then is involved in that, the egos that then need to be navigated and the and the situations that need to be navigated. I'm really excited to talk about your journey through to getting into the luxury price point, but then some specific case studies of the auctions that you've done. But first of all, I want to just sort of kick it off by giving you guys the floor and talking about how you felt that auction has impacted your business into the luxury marketplace. Uh, I'll go first. So uh, when we signed our franchise fee agreement eight years ago, one of the things that got us excited about Harcourts, besides the people aspect and the technology aspect, was the non-distressed auction platform. We had we're a little bit frustrated because there's only so far up in the luxury real estate business that you could go in our very tight knit community if you didn't know someone or have something different. And although we'd sold luxury, we hadn't been at the top of the food chain. And Rich is really what we'll talk about later today about Big Horn, the vintage and some of the more exclusive clubs. So our goal was to really transform our business to a higher level and provide that opportunity to our agents who could seize that moment and understand what we were trying to accomplish. Yeah. And, and James, how have you seen it impact your business? Because you, on a day-to-day perspective, I remember when we first sort of started doing, you know, real estate together, you know, average sale price. And correct me if I'm wrong here, I'd say probably, obviously, we've seen a bit of a growth in the in the desert marketplace with it being such a popular market over the last number of years. But would we say average sale price might be like five or $600,000? Um, today, I think the average sales price today is probably closer to $700,000. For most realtors, with auction, we've been able to quadruple our price point uh, using the platform. And what was your price point, I guess, coming into Harcourts? Because you both were pretty significant, you know, realtors in the Coachella Valley. Um, you worked for Windermere previously, um, and and ultimately, you guys had been. To, it, it's not like you were brand new realtors to the desert coming in with and you and and using auction to penetrate a marketplace. You guys were pretty established. So, James, what was the average sale price for you for for the both of you guys before joining Harcourts? Oh, I would imagine it was probably right around five hundred thousand. Yeah, and then how many transactions were you guys doing a year? Uh, at that time, right around thirty-five to forty. Okay, and like so, that's you know, it's significant volume. It really is, and I guess a little chuckle to the to the luxury price point is that it's a little bit easier to you know, go ahead and double end a $6 million transaction that we'll talk about later on. But uh, it's a little easier than doing a whole bunch of those transactions, correct? Yes, it is. <laughs> You're working with much more sophisticated people. So in one sense, the transaction is a little bit easier on, on one hand. On the other hand, because you're dealing with high net worth and ultra high net worth people, you better be sure you cross your T's and dot your I's. Yeah. Now, I, I think that the, the the part of this that I want to talk about, first of all, is getting an opportunity because everything comes down to one individual moment, one individual opportunity. How did you guys actually break in to some of these tightly held markets? Could you maybe talk about some of the exclusive clubs so people can get an idea of the desert market and talk about how tightly held the real estate is within each one of those communities? So I'll go on that first. So uh, the top three clubs here in the Coachella Valley, we have more than 100 country clubs. Our Bighorn Golf Club ranked number 18 in the United States last year for being in the top best of the best clubs in the United States. 
Then the Vintage Club, which was ranked in the top five by Forbes magazine. I believe it was number three last year. Uh, so we're in two of the top three clubs. The other club is the Madison Club, and we've not really focused on that club at this time because our success really has been building our business and our brand at Bighorn Golf Club first and really at the Vintage Club second. And truthfully, the two most prestigious, well-established clubs here in the Coachella Valley and in the United States. Now, now, give me an idea, Scott, of what it is to like to like. What do people have to do to join these clubs, like, and and actually, you know, get into the club? Because I'm assuming that there's members of those clubs that don't own real estate within the walls. Like when we say clubs, it's not something where it's just a clubhouse surrounded by an estate. It has walls around it. People like it is like a like. There's one of them that has a full time. I think it's a full time uh, police force or something like that. Mm-hmm. They all do. Oh. They all have private security details. Right. They, they, they have technology, like in some of these clubs, they'll have laser beams on top of the perimeter walls to ensure no one scales the walls. Uh, they have uh, sensors on the walls that if someone places something on a wall that's either warmer or colder than the actual wall temperature, like a bomb, sensors go off and then dispatch the security detail or ultimately start pushing buttons where the U.S. Secret Service or the FBI or the local police department is dispatched within minutes. Wow. And then joining joining one of these clubs, what is the expense to do so? So at the, the most exclusive and most difficult club is the Vintage Club. So first you have, to, in order to get into the Vintage Club, you have to be sponsored by two members. You go through an interview process uh, where you go through and you're literally through committee. They take you through that process. If you get through that process, which does include a, you know, which background check and all that around that as well. And financial records. And financial records. uh, Then uh, you have to write a check for $250,000. And so so you have to buy a piece of real estate. And at the club, we're talking a million to 20 million, depending upon the property. You've got to have the ability to have two members that want to sponsor you. And uh, you also have have to have the ability to pass the interview in. Just to give you an idea, the Vintage Club is where the presidents have been, and that's where Charles Schwab is, the Nordstrom family, Bill Gates, to name a few. The amazing part about the Vintage, we've met a lot of really amazing people there, and you might not know they're a billionaire unless you were in that club. Bighorn, I would say a slight step down. It's the same price point, $250,000 to join the club. There's also monthly fees and annual fees that are in addition to that. But at Bighorn, you don't go through two people having to sponsor you to get into the club. So it's a little bit easier sell at Bighorn because although they're both at the same level, it's just a little bit higher level when it comes to the requirements to join the vintage. I just the the thing that just I want wanted the audience to understand is the exclusivity of these places. Like because when you guys first told me, like I what like because again we've stayed connected on some of this luxury stuff that you guys have done and. And you're telling me about these clubs. I like. I had to admit, like, again, I trust you guys implicitly. But I walked away going, "Are they telling me a story on that? Like, like, I, I, that just sounds too difficult. Like, that just sounds uh, like ridiculous." And then you, we, we grew into doing some of these transactions. And nope, yep, nope, absolutely, perfectly true. And uh, and uh, talk to me about some of the other internal sales of like the dom, like. I know that it's been really difficult to break into these markets. I'm trying to paint a picture for people in the sense to get a understanding of then there's internal sales teams within these communities, basically like on-site sales, if anybody understands new home construction or something along those lines. 
And to penetrate that marketplace has been really difficult because they're in the ear of everybody and and all of that stuff. Can you talk to me about the exclusivity hold that those realtors have on those communities? So yes, to the on-site sales offices. So most of the luxury clubs do have on-site sales offices and because they they coordinate, they have parties, there's all kinds of things that focus on the on-site sales office. And there's also pressure that the on-site sales offices may put down on their club members, basically expressing to their club members, we might not show other out of area agents listings if they're not our own listings. So they put a lot of pressure on club members to really keep realtors like us out of the club when it comes to the listing side of the business. They don't mind on the buy side, they, they like that, but they're very, uh, for lack of a better word, territorial on that. They uh, also have part of their sales proceeds go into the support of clubs. So sometimes club members feel compelled to do that. Yeah. yeah. The other issue that we found is that sometimes when you have an entitlement type situation with an on-site sales office, they're not doing the same work that a team like James and myself do when it comes to launching a property. They'll minimize the photos, they'll minimize everything. So they're not providing the same high level of service to their to their sellers uh, because it's almost viewed as this is my business or this is an entitlement. So we've really come to work with the on-site sales office to build our relationships with all of them so they don't feel that because they're still doing a majority of the business. We're just getting a snapshot and we just want to have that piece of the pie as the plan B yep. often as well. So so talk to me about this then. And and I think that it's an important point to now segue into where the auction has come into really getting you guys in the door. James, with the properties that you've done in the vintage and bighorn, have those properties been properties that the on-site sales team have had previously? And maybe because of a bit of complacency or maybe not having those traditional real estate thoughts or marketing thoughts or things along those lines, they haven't been successful through the traditional element and then you've gotten in the door with auction? That's exactly right, Ben. Uh, many times the on-site sales office will almost artificially increase the list price to maintain a certain pricing integrity within the club. And many times their listings are overpriced, so they do not sell. Mm. And then after you know two years in the market with one listing and five year, five and a half years on the market with another listing, the sellers get seller fatigue because the property's not sold and they've got their carrying costs. And so it, with auction, it provides us the opportunity to get our foot in the door to have a different conversation with them, how we're different and how we would go about marketing their property by lowering the price and, 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 and doing an extreme amount of marketing. When I say extreme amount of marketing in, in comparison to what the on-site sales office does, for instance, many times they only put five, six or seven photos online of the property, yeah. maybe a two sentence description of the property, basically right. saying, call the on-site sales office where we, on the other hand, will do 50 photos. We'll do virtual tours. We do an agent introduction video to introduce the property to the marketplace. And we, we do considerably more marketing. So when sellers see that we're producing and selling their properties in a short amount of time for top dollar, that only helps us because then they share their experience with other club members as to their experience, because they're, what we've learned the last three years, is there is a growing minority yep. of homeowners at these clubs that want a plan B. They want a different option to work with because they're not, not necessarily beholden 
uh, to working with the United States Sales Office. It's amazing. It's like one of those theories and, and it's one of those pictures that you sort of see a seller's eyes light up when you say that about the auction process is that, hey, with all due respect, you, the best property in the world will remain unsold even if you spent millions of dollars on marketing if the price is wrong. It, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, at the end of the day, not only do you guys then with the auction process get to certainly market the property kind of removing price away from the equation but second to that is that is that with the auction process is that you cast that net so much further that then it actually highlights the property even better from that perspective now i guess that i want to break into some individual case studies here and i want to talk about starting off with how you got your foot in the door how auction assisted you guys how we got the property sold and i want to start off with the property at 200 palm ridge in palm desert Okay. Can you guys give us a little bit of background on that property? Scott, maybe you could give us an introduction to how it came to be and how it all happened. Well, first we have to, we have to thank the green team for helping us out with that, Justin and Chad. So they had made a call and had established a, rela- a relationship along with Bill Pasqualiano uh, with the seller and the seller had had the property <laughs> listed for sale. And it was more than a year process of building a relationship with the seller. And truthfully, not coming after the seller to take away a listing from the on-site sales office, but to build the relationship so if he ever needed a plan B. And this particular seller, what was great about him is that he auctioned his wine. He owned a vineyard and they had done some auctioning of wine. So uh, understanding that we had our non-distressed auction platform piqued his interest and it really began the conversation. So over a period of time, that listing had been on and off the market with the on-site sales office multiple times over just under three years of time. And so during that time, when the listing expired, the seller was ready for a plan B. So, so Scott, just to, just to be clear on something, just for my information, price point that it was on the market at previously, how much was it kind of, was it around listed for? Uh, $9.95 million. As well. Okay. And then there was a, it was a provoking phone call on an inbound perspective. Um, because just, just to be clear, we won't mention who it is, but it's a celebrity winemaker. If we were to say their name, I think 90% of the audience in North America would understand what wine it is. They probably drunk that wine to be honest. Um, but, but realistically is that he had a property, I think in the, on the coast in California, Bill had made a phone call to him on that property. And then he'd mentioned the property in the desert that had expired. And then you got in, in come the Knights in shining armor, James and Scott to save the day with the auction process in the desert and actually build the credibility there is that. So it was that type of introduction that he was just simply fed up that a property at that price point was not moving. Could you explain, I know this is a little bit off off that individual topic, but that price point in the desert, now, I think now post-COVID uh, or, and during COVID market and post-COVID market, it's a little bit more recognized that there's some real luxury transactions moving in the desert. But post that, uh, pre, pre-pandemic, I would go as far as say, and I'm going to shoot from the hip there, these could be just stupid statistics, is that I would say that there's probably only... 30, 40 transactions that happen over $10 million in the Coachella Valley a year? That would be a pretty good estimate, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, so so just to give people an understanding of the marketplace of that, you know, that's a that's a pretty significant high end of the marketplace. Now I think that it's probably doubled the volume of transactions now over that price point just based on the sheer inflation of prices in the desert. But But realistically, I guess that 
coming into that situation, what was the immediate headwind when you went into that presentation with the sellers or was there any? When you say headwind, objection? Or- yeah, objection. What was there, what, was there pushback to the auction process? What, what was it like to get that property listed? Well, no, it was more about building the relationship first and having him understand what the auction platform was and what it was not and how we would implement that strategy. So that property had gone from $9.95 million down to several different price reductions, down to just under $8 million. And I just want to say an $8 million property in the desert in 2020, right before COVID, because we went into escrow the day of COVID, yeah, that's right. shelter in place, you can basically double to triple those prices. So a $7 million property in the desert back at the beginning of COVID would be a 15 to $20 million property in Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego, the Bay Area. So to put some, you know, some boxes around that, just to understand, we're talking about a very high level of listing when compared to major cities. So it was about the relationship. But the other point was, what's the property worth? Yeah. The seller thought it was worth 9.95 because that's what the professionals at at the on-site sales office had advised them. And then they started tracking the market down. And this was a motivated seller who'd just gotten married, was ready to move on because this was his single bachelor pad and it was time to, to, to move on and was getting frustrated after more than two years on the market. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so I guess that from going, so you built the relationship over time. I knew it took a lot of time to bring it to market. And obviously those type of people want to cultivate that. James, through the process, once it goes live, was there a lot of interest in the property in comparison to it being on the market traditionally? I think it piqued the interest of the club members because we held uh, a very structured by invitation only open house for the club members and we had a great turnout. And so in that respect, it was something new for the club members to take a look at. So we, we, we had several, several private showings after the open house of these. So definitely the, the plat the auction platform and the open house launched it because in these clubs, they all know one another, they all socialize together and they all talk. Yeah. And so, uh, that sort of the momentum of, of getting the, the property, the, the visibility it deserved. So let's be selfish for a minute. Question to the both of you guys. Using this as an opportunity, because it being different, to provoke conversation, to provoke the club members, the residents of the, of, of, of the, the community, to come in and talk to you guys about it. What would you say was the, 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 the residual income or res- what do you think that that gave you guys, if you were going to quantify it into dollars, that you might not have exchanged any of these dollars at the moment, but the people that you met and the possible future business out of the people you met, would we be talking $100 million worth of real estate? I haven't thought about quantifying it at that particular level because since that transaction there's been so many yeah uh at the high end because once you break into the fraternity and sorority they start paying attention so that that open house gave us the ability for all the club members that might not know who we are who would hear whatever they'd heard through the rumblings through within their own club community who are these guys we don't know that we've never who's harcourts what's yeah. all that yeah yeah. gave us the ability to set a foundation within the club to build trust and respect within the community so that truthfully once that property did close we now had a reputation and that began our journey in terms of really beginning to 
not just develop our business at Bighorn, but at the Vintage and other luxury clubs. So we want to quantify that now into dollars. I don't. I, I think a hundred million. I don't think we. Can, I don't look at it in that type of respect. I look at it more in the the value is unlimited because it continues to feed our business. And every uh, year, that's a good year, point. That's a really good point. Twenty twenty two, most realtors suffered. James and I had our best year in our entire 24 year real estate career. So we knocked it out of the ballpark. And part of it was the focus on the luxury brand. And we really have quadrupled our average sales price now since when we started with Harcourts as a result of the auction platform. Now, now tell me just finish this property out at 200 Palm Ridge, finish this property out, goes live. What's the story of getting it all the way through to closing? went live. We, uh, the, the first event was a by invitation only for the open house club members. You are not able to hold a public open house in a private club at this level. It will not happen. We then had a by invitation only cocktail reception for the top 100 realtors within the Coachella Valley. That was all by private limousine, all catered and sponsored as well. We had about 65 to 70 come through at that event. So between the open house and that, those happened one week within each other. We created a, a really a tsunami of marketing and advertising that went out. And then our phone began ringing. That was the end of January is when we had put that onto the market, going through the whole process. And it was March 17th. I know or it may have been March 18th. I might be one day off. You just look up shelter in place, California, and we'll know <laughs> what that date was. That is the date we uh, went under contract and sold 30 days later all cash. Uh, on that property. Well, that's amazing. You know, I think that, so through the, the auction, that pro, that actually happened prior to auction or was it post-auction? That happened prior to auction. We never went to auction, which, yeah. which has been our gift here in the desert. We haven't been going to auction because we typically, through all of our efforts, we're able to secure a an acceptable offer for our sellers and we haven't had to go to auction that often. And I think, and I think that the, the, the important part of understanding the process that you guys understand better than most is using the anonymity of competition with the leverage of the auction date leading into it. That I, I understand that, like that it provides you a leverage of a negotiation that you typically wouldn't have in a traditional sense because at these luxury price points, they'd be looking at it going, it's been on the marketplace for six months. I know I'm not in competition. I'm the only person that you guys have. They will take a harder nosed approach to the negotiation being that buyer versus the fact of like, hey guys, you can either stop the auction or you can be in competition on auction day. Which one would you want? And, and it provides that little bit more leverage in that negotiation that I know you guys have done a very, very good job of harnessing, certainly in these environments. Let's use another example. Let's talk about another example. We've got the property at 527 Mesquite Hills in Palm Desert as well. Was that one in, uh, which club was that one in? I was at Bighorn Golf Club as well. As well. Now, where did this, where did this listing come from? From our, far, our direct mail farming based on our success at 200 Palm Ridge. Wow. And that that seller had been collecting, paying attention and collecting and saving the uh, direct mail pieces, the farm pieces. And he picked the, pho the phone one day and, and called Scott and had a conversation. And it turns out he's a major builder out of Denver of 40 years, who's built literally thousands of apartments and homes. And he's built several custom homes at Bighorn. So he's a well-known club member. Wow. So amazing how one thing turns into another and it starts to snowball. So then tell us, the had this property previously been on the market or was this a newer property to market? 
that been on the market as well uh, by two different agents. First, the on-site sales office had it for about a year to year and a half. And then a, another agent that is a well-known agent, top producing agent who I respect and really has been a great team member on other things for us, took the listing as well. But it was just always priced too high. Mm. You know, the, the, the world of real estate, this is an Italian masterpiece. And so many people have been focusing on modern that there were some limitations to that property. One of the most beautiful properties you'd ever sold, but you had the architectural style objection to overcome it. It's difficult to price in something like that, but this mm. property, just like the other Bighorn property had started out right around 10 million and chased it all the way down to about, I believe they had it at 6.7 million wow. when it expired and when we took it over. I think that, you know, there's something to be said about you guys coming in to save the day, uh, you know, riding in to save the day with the auction process to keep the integrity of these properties. Because, you know, it, it you, you said this before, Scott, and I want to really touch on this as a point right now, is that what are these things worth? Who knows? Like, like I think it's an insult to these these people, these intelligent people that have obviously done very well in business to sit in front of them and try and predict what their property is worth when you're not willing to write a check for it. And that I think at this price point in these markets, in this exclusive territory is worth its weight in gold on its own right for auction. Agreed. So, so tell us about this one. As it comes onto the marketplace, what was your bidding to start from price on this property in Mesquite Hills? 4.5 million. And then, um, and then, so tell us the the journey of this one. How when did it sell, and and how how did how did that how did that process go? That uh, it was a fun process. I was the lead on that. So a lot of on the high end luxury auctions to keep myself in the flow of not just being the managing broker and coaching our agents. Uh, James runs our private business, but I get in, and my name's attached to all that. But when it gets to the super luxury or the high end luxury. I am always involved because I want that ability to coach and train all of our agents. So on this, we listed, it was mid to end January. Again, uh, we had a show in actually while I was at the Harcourts North American Sales Conference, actually right before the week before, and it was a club member who received another one of our postcards and called me directly because uh, he wanted additional information and uh, uh, he wasn't getting it from his previous realtor. So uh, we were the realtor he called. And uh, we, I took him on his first tour. And then uh, a week later, he wanted to go back again. And one of our agents, and I got to do a shout out, Miss Cindy Beach, uh, who's kicking it right now, uh, went there and she actually helped help take him on the next tour and look at the furnishings and all that. So by we were running numbers and market analysis, because one of the things I like to share about the auction platform, we have the ability to double end more because a lot of realtors are lazy, not professional. They won't run the numbers or they just won't call us to get that. So we look at the valuation of a property about seven different ways. And one of my areas of expertise is numbers. And so the same analysis I shared with the seller, since we were going to be double lending this property, the uh, buyer decided that James and I were the experts and he didn't want to work with this previous realtor. He wanted to maintain the relationship we had with him. So I provided him the scenarios and I did not say to him, you need to pick X, Y, or Z. I said, here's the data, here's the information. And I recommend you put your best pen to paper so that you can take this property and not be into a competition because we had received other offers, but not auction stopping numbers at that time. 
And those other offers has obviously helped educate the client on the marketplace a little bit because my understanding was, Scott, they'd never even seen an offer. They had not seen an offer and they'd seen very few showings as well because the architecture wasn't in the modern mode. This was a $7 million home that they built 10 plus years ago with with pieces from around the world. So this was such a unique property, but you don't always get back what you put into the property and they had the use of it for 10 years. You can't change Italian masterpiece to modern architecture. It's just not in the realm of possibility. No, it's not. No, 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 it's not at all. But then tell me about the third case study that I wanted to run through. Um, James, were you the lead on Quail Lakes? No, Scott was on that one as well. So tell us about tell us about the situation of where 74300 Quail Lakes Drive in Indian Wells came from. What This is a different community to Bighorn, isn't it? Yeah, this is yeah. the vintage club. The, so this is the most exclusive club in the desert? Yes. Yeah, and also in the top five country clubs in the entire United States. So tell us how this one came about. This one, one of our agents, one of our brand new agents, uh, family, Jermaine Wright, shout out to Jermaine Wright if you're watching, had this opportunity, but she was brand new into the business. And so uh, Jermaine's family opened up a door for a conversation on a listing that had been on and off the market for 13 years. Hmm. So all the way back to 2008, when the real estate market had crashed the last time. And uh, they were actually had an offer that time in excess of $13 million for this property. Jesus. Wow. And uh, it's a 15,000 square foot estate. It was the last state that was that Mr. Steve Chase, a very well-known interior designer worldwide had had done. So it had a lot of great history to it. So when the market crashed, that $13 million buyer disappeared. And so the estate had to learn an interesting lesson. And as 2008 became 9, 10 and 11, they went from $11 million listing down to a 9.9 listing. And there were I don't remember exactly about seven different realtors. Most of them I know uh, who had had experience getting this done, but nobody could get it done. And uh, when we brought it on board, the last offer on the property in 2000, and don't quote me exactly, I wasn't the agent, right around the 17 time, 2017 timeframe had been right around 7.5 million. And the estate had chosen not to take the 7.5 million because they were still licking their wounds from the $13.1 million offer from behind. So it's hard to comprehend that an estate at this level, it was an amazing estate, could drop in value so significantly and that no one could truly appreciate what this property really was. Can I can I try and get your thoughts on that then? Just that let's philosophize about real estate for a second, not this individual case study. James, what is your thought about what it does to a property to sit on the marketplace for this long, for that long, the reputation or the tarnishment of that reputation of that property, regardless of whether it's still a beautiful property or not? What are your thoughts around that? Sadly, it becomes a bit of a white elephant and it's kind of kind of uh, everyone knows about it and everyone basically ignores it. So when we took the listing, we knew we had a big, we had a big snowball to push up a hill to create the excitement and create a momentum. And so uh, we had to think outside the box with that, didn't we? Could you, could you, could you both imagine sitting there as a traditional agent being called into actually that appointment after it's been on the marketplace for that long and then sitting in front of them and they go, well, what are you going to do? And what are you going to do differently? The honest answer to that 
would just be absolutely nothing. I'm not going to do anything differently. I'm just going to try it and hope that my timing is good. That's the honest answer. Imagine sitting there without auction and actually having to justify that you're going to do something different. <laughs> right. but you can't because the other way to do it is it was my first broker, Mr. J. Premax, said price fixes everything. <laughs> well, price wasn't fixing everything on this particular listing because of this long, long history attached. And there's nothing wrong with the, the, the property itself. It was just 15,000 square feet of a 1990 property that needed a major rehabilitation to what we live on today. But the materials, there was nothing wrong with it. There was just going to be a lot of money and time in order to get that property to the next level. And who wants a big, giant project? If you can aff afford a $5 million property, you might be finding the done $5 million property because where we live, is a, we live in a place you choose to live. You don't have to live in the desert. The, our clients are wealthy, you know, high net worth people that these are second, third and fourth homes. So they don't necessarily want another project. No, that's right. What would you say to, what would you say to this? I'm just having a thought. And again, it could be an outlandish thought, but I'm thinking about it in this situation. If you're taking on a property and we've taken on a fair few of properties like this, where it'd been on the marketplace for five, six, seven years, eight years. We've got so many case studies around being being able to, and I say revitalize the reputation when I actually don't think that's what we kind of do. I think we actually have to think about it differently. The word auction actually accelerates the perception of, well, what's wrong with that property to a point that it then becomes an opportunity, right? That people think, oh my God, this could actually be a really good opportunity because now there's not a significant price attached to that property it's auctioned with a low bidding to start from it kind of fuels the greed or feeds the greed to the extent that they get there do you think that that's what happened what were the buyers like that you met after the property being on for this long you guys showing the property what were the people like that you met were they coming into that thinking like salivating it this could be a ridiculously good deal were they people that had previously seen it what were the clientele that were coming to see this property i did most of the showings on that so mm -hmm. i would say uh so first of all what's wrong with the property it's been on and off the market for so long and we were in auction bidding to start from at five million yep all right so the first was everybody looking to see what was wrong with the property there was never anything wrong with the property uh, the auction platform brought some looky-loos, which we did not let through through phone calls and inquiries on that, that we do an extensive research and behind the scenes to know who it is that's calling if they're not attached to a luxury realtor that we have a personal relationship with. Because when you're at this level, you get a lot of interesting phone calls from all of that. Yeah. Uh, most of the feedback as we took serious buyers through who were looking to make a serious investment at the vintage, most of them were people who had friends within the club or they were club members that had been tracking the, this particular property and waiting it for it to get to a right place. So as we went through the property with some of the various different people, it more came down to the feedback was we brought the attention back. We got more showings in the first 30 days than they'd had in the last three to four years with the previous two agents as a result of just the platform and the price. And it had also taken a rest. It had been on rest for about two years. So, Got it. you know, we were introducing it as a brand new listing that way. Yep. The biggest objection overall was too much work, too much money still at, and the size, because we're talking 15,000 square feet. Mm. This was literally 
for those people who are from the 80s and they remember Dynasty or Dallas, this or lifestyles of the rich and famous with Robin Leach. These were, this was the type of estate. This was a one of a kind type estate that was very magical. Yeah. The, just the sheer, the scale of this home was would be the scale of a hotel. Did you guys ever see the property that we took to auction in San Juan? Would look like Hogwarts on the side of the hill. No, it, it, was, it reminds me. It, it, I think that it, the sheer, I think it was seventeen thousand square feet, and it's on the side of the hill, and it's got these peaks. It literally looks like Hogwarts, something out of Hogwarts, right? So, so, but just to see that scale of property, that if you're not used to seeing that size. It's intimidating for people to actually walk into. It is. It, it's and then let alone if it needs work like this one needed, you know, like like it it you know it is an intimidating step. But you've got to get them there. Most people would honestly not even look at it if you didn't market it correctly. So all in all, what did it sell for? So we took it out of auction just yep. for full disclosure. Yeah. The all the the offers were coming in right around the $4 million type mark. And it was verbal. It wasn't even anybody putting pen to paper. And that was not even at our auction video to start from at $5 million. So that was soundly refused by the seller, but it gave us the ability to start having a conversation with our seller as to what we would do. And that really what we ended up doing is pulling it out of auction, putting it into a traditional platform priced just under 5 million to do the experiment. And the experiment is to see where we could get with that. And, that worked for us to get that property sold and we ended up list selling that property we double ended it as well at 4.175 million i believe is what our final price was on that so auction the tool that auction gave you in this situation was the education to the client for them to really see the marketplace with their own two eyes absolutely and and shout out to jason scott we thought that property was worth 4 million we wanted to actually relaunch into the auction platform under the 4 million number, but uh, our seller was not interested in doing that. You have to remember, we're dealing with a $13.1 million offer, albeit more than 10 plus years before, but you go from 13 to under four, and there's a lot to uh, process in your mind. And, you know, they didn't need to sell that was this was just about releasing an asset that had been attached to the family that was the family home for a long time. So there were a lot of other things attached to this property as well, a lot of emotions and feelings because it was a family home. Yeah. Well, guys, I think that, you know, get, getting the perspective of getting into these transactions, how auction has been a tool for you guys to break into that marketplace has certainly been insight that I hope that people find incredibly valuable because that's one of the things that I think that, you know, uh, the, the auction side of the business can do for anybody that's out there listening is actually get them into price points that you don't think that you can compete in is that that's what a great deal of our agents that use auction have done is build themselves into marketplaces that might not have been possible if you were just that traditional person. It comes down to the networking you do then or whatever it is and your sphere that gets you into those groups. But there's another piece of all of this that outside of the auctions and your own personal business and what you guys have done from a legacy perspective in the Coachella Valley is that there's very few people as you you guys and I discovered yesterday that don't know who you are in the Coachella Valley from a real estate perspective. Um, but there's a part of this journey that you guys decided at one point that you wanted to open up your own real estate office. And I want to talk about that a little bit because um, to say that it was smooth sailing would be a lie. Um, it was uh, it was not smooth sailing with the opening of your own office. It was, you know, it's one of those situations where partnerships don't exactly work out, 
and there had to be a very significant commitment made from the both of you to push forward with what you're doing. And I think that the one word that comes to mind when it comes to what we do in real estate, and if you're going to take a leap into a venture that you absolutely have to have is conviction. And conviction is what you both had in order to get you guys to now, you're opening up your second office in Palm Desert, right near Bighorn, by the way, um, you know, and and it's, it's an incredible story for people to know. Um, but there's a part of this all the way along that the level of conviction that you guys have had to build into the luxury market using auction and believe that auction is the way to do it. And then not to mention the belief in yourselves that you guys can do, run and operate a business. Where do you guys get the conviction from? And maybe a little bit of background on, on, on opening up the Harcourt's Desert Home Office. Hmm. Loaded, big question, I know. You want to start or do you want me to start? I'll let you start. So, first of all, conviction is a great word. We would like to say failure is not in our vocabulary. <laughs> and uh, it has been a little bit of a surprise. We took a year to make the decision that we were willing to move forward with signing a franchise to open up the Harcourt's Desert Homes brand here. Most of our friends thought we were absolutely crazy. Why did we need to do that? We already had a successful business. They didn't understand our short-term and long-term goals. Uh, it's taken more time and energy and persistence than we ever imagined. And I liken it to the iceberg. And for anyone who's seen the iceberg, all we see is the tip of the iceberg and uh, the success, the success, the bright shining star. and. James and I, are, we're a power couple. We've been together for 34 years. We've been through peaks and valleys. We've been through real estate markets that have been great and not, and we've made a lot of decisions. But truthfully, this was the hardest decision we ever made. It's taken more of our time and energy and pure focus to always believe in ourselves. And we really believe in the power of our manifestation and our focus on all that. And each time through the dissolution of our business partnership two years in when we realized that we were not in alignment with our vision for the company and going through what that meant financially through attorneys and buyouts and all that type of stuff to literally two years in starting all over again with our vision. And Ben, you know this, there were a lot of times where our cash flow, we could, we were barely getting by to do what we needed to do, but we always focused on what the end game was. And that really that conviction, that persistence for us is, really began to come to fruition in 2019, the fourth quarter. I remember seeing finally, we're actually making some money. There's actually profit attached to it all. And since then, uh, COVID helped expedite a portion of that process. But truthfully, uh, we have this saying, both of us, and that mm -hmm. is success is earned, not given. Mm. We're, it's not entitled for us. And uh, we've worked really hard to get to this place now. And part of it now is we like to share our journey because we hope it can inspire other people to understand that if you continue to focus on your success, that you can manifest it and you can't give up because there were many sleepless nights and many long conversations that both of us had where we almost thought we might not want to continue forward. And then we realized we were in charge of our destiny and we just pushed forward. James, how was, how was the, how's the feeling for you of where you, if you look back on where you guys started to where you are now, yeah. You know, though we went through a few years of struggling, I knew in my gut, my gut told me that we would be very successful in this business. We just had to persevere and get, get over some of the obstacles that were in front of us and, you know, through friends and family and, 
our colleagues that supported us and gave us advice. Uh, we did just that. And, you know, in addition to one of the things that Scott just mentioned that, you know, success is earned, not given. We as a couple have another saying, and that saying is together we're invincible. Hmm. And that's been one of our mantras uh, really almost since the beginning of our relationship. And I, we reminded each other of, of that mantra uh, several times during the dark times. And I'm so glad that we stuck together and, and, and really just worked harder and got smarter, became smarter businessmen through that process. And looking back now, I'm glad we, we stuck it out and we, we went through those sleepless nights. Can I ask, there's, uh, the conversations between you guys from a personal, you guys are, are both a couple but also business partners. And, you know, I deal with that with Calistra as well. And Calistra and I look back at, you know, the tough times that we've had, you know, coming and starting a business and doing something different in North America. And we look back and there was never a moment where we ever were going to give up. But was there a moment that you guys literally threw your hands up and said, this is, this is, this is not doable? No, <laughs> no, no, no. I think we may have approached it at certain points, but no, we, we never either said to one or the other, I'm throwing in the towel. I can't do this anymore. That, that was, that was never a conversation. There's a pure correlation between that. Cause I asked that a question of a few of our guests is that, did you ever get close to giving up and keep in mind that the people that I interview are the most successful people within what we do, because at the end of the day, they're the people that we operate with at a high level. And, and there's a correlation that everybody says that no, no. And like, and the other part, the other part, it's funny. And I think that you guys might draw a parallel here is that you look back on where you are now and versus where you started. And did you expect to be there? And arrogantly? Yeah. I expected you guys to be where you are. And I expect more. <laughs> yeah. We've only just begun. You know, you said earlier, Alpha Sale, Palm Desert, that's the, that's the Rodeo Drive of Beverly Hills. So for us, it's the day has arrived. It's time for us to own our pure potential and really convict ourselves to the next level and attract really great like-minded talent because our vision for our brokerage has always been quality, not quantity, and like-minded professionals, full-time professionals. I want to take advantage of our platform because it's unlike any other. And so it's been the path these past eight years. When we look back, sometimes literally, even before this call, I pinched myself to look back to 2014 when we were evaluating Harcourts, to 2015 when we signed the agreement, to 2017 when we went through the dissolution of the partnership, and to see who we are today. And we've gotten a PhD in life on every aspect of what it takes to succeed. So when we go through myself with the interviews with various agents to recruit them, or you hear the all the negativity, negative speech. We've just had a lot of teachable moments. Our negative is never negative. It's our teachable moment and our focus on how we can succeed and push ourselves to the next level. So it's not easy. And if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And it's not. But that's where the true success comes from for us. And for our, our personal relationship, uh, we've had it's, you know, you have to balance those two worlds. But I can't imagine doing it with anybody else because this man is the guy that, uh, when it was dark, when I wasn't sleeping, when I had a few more doubts than he did, he was the one who kept saying, believe, just believe, trust me, I know what's ahead of us. So it could get me uh, teary-eyed, but uh, it was his belief that helped me continue never to give up. 
So. Do you know? Do you know? I have to. I have to add to that because you obviously get that from a personal perspective, Scott. Is that James is probably one of the most the one of the guys who walks into a room, and I always when James walks in and I see James, it's always a joke. It's always laughter. It's always optimism. It's always hey, things are great. Hey, we're moving forward. Hey, it's good. So you know, I think that that's to be said about any attitude in an environment or in a moment where others are down. If you can uplift them, and you guys have the benefit of maybe being a little bit of a yin and yang working perfectly together in those situations. I think that that's, that's probably a little bit of an essence of success um, of, of your success and your persistence. Agreed. Yeah, I would agree to that. That's good. Well, guys, I think that, I think that at this point, not only have we gone through some very successful moments from the auction perspective, but then obviously a little bit of an insight to, to what you guys have done to build a business. I think that it's given everybody a very good all-rounded perspective. But there's one thing that I think that has to sort of put the cherry on top is that you guys put yourself into an environment and you immersed yourself into an environment. You chose to learn something new because you wanted to see whether or not it was at a benefit. So being genuinely curious, even though you'd already built a successful business and actually wanting to immerse yourself in the tools and resources that were available to you, I think that's a part that curiosity and that continued curiosity that I see from the both of you would probably be another essence of your success so far um, that, uh, that I would say as well. What are your thoughts? How do you stay curious? How do we stay curious? Because you guys both are. You're always asking questions. You're always asking. You, you're never like, no, it should be done this way. It's always like, well, what do you think of this? I think our nature, truly, both the two of us, we're adventure seekers. And we get stimulated by taking ourselves to the next level in all different types of capacities. So mm-hmm. anyone who's met us and understands us is that our personal and our professional worlds, they do mix and mold together, but our adventure, we're on an adventure together and being on that adventure keeps the curiosity going for us. So uh, we don't like just settling and just sitting out and hanging out. I mean, yes, we wanna hang out by the pool, have our cocktails or do our relaxing things and do our traveling and all that. But part of the success of our personal relationship has always been inspiring each other to the best level, both personally and professionally so that was part of the reason why we purchased the franchise is we were a little bit bored just selling real estate and when we were looking at the harcourt's opportunity and i have to say it's been a village and ben you have been part of this rob ford has been part of this there's been so many people our success has not been just the two of us and our focus it truly has been our village that's been there and they've seen the transformation i mean those people who know our story truly understand that we've overcome a lot of different obstacles to be where we're at today. But part of that too has been our inspiration in each other to always take each other up to a higher level because why would we want to go on the reverse? Yeah. yeah That's fair. not who we are. Mm-hmm. So James, your, your days in IBM in that corporate world, you know, you were a pretty high flying executive in the IBM world um, and traveling all over the world, dealing with accounts like Toyota and, and, and some, I've got some, James has got some great stories. If you've got the time, guys, it's uh, it's it's absolutely great. After a couple of glasses of champagne, to listen to him with the couple of stories that he's got with the, in the corporate world. But have you brought any of that over into real estate? I have. When I left IBM to join Scott's business uh, twenty years ago, 
I brought my my knowledge of systems and checklists and SEO strategies to our web technology and and really the the IBM training of how to qualify a prospect or maybe how to disqualify them, taking a different angle and using psychology to make to to basically elicit the true sense or the truth from the prospect and to ascertain whether or not they're worthy of my time or our time together as a prospective client. And when you do that, and, and it is more involved than in what I'm explaining here, uh, your client will is more attracted to you. They'll, 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 they'll listen to you. They'll take your advice uh, right from the right out of the gate. And when you qualify them a certain way. And so it's, it's really that the corporate world really prepared me for, for this business is real estate. And in hindsight now as a broker owner, Absolutely. Well, guys, congratulations on all of your success. I'm excited to be part and watch the journey all the way through. And thanks for joining us on Rethink Real Estate. Thank it's our pleasure. You. Thank you, Ben. So about 75% of our audience hasn't liked, followed, or subscribed to our podcast. It would mean the world to us and it would help this podcast more than you know to expand our reach if you were to like, follow, or subscribe on any of the platforms that you're watching or listening on. Thanks again.